It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself to the world, but it don't need something in your own head. Speed it up and I've got no sense. I'll let her put the platter with the fear fight down. I fire in the fire, but this is the gang from the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're eating it down your neck. Reporter, jump, 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 the ground, look at that low plane, flying then up for over four, five minutes, corner two, but it'll be the secret, devil, 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 world, in your own knees, see your heart, tell me that the river in the river was the right, you patriotic, patriotic, plan my right, my feeling is pretty like, it's the end of the world as we know it, it's the end of the world as we know it, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And Bloom. Aha. Hey, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a paragon of perseverance in a perilous world. Mm-hmm. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 700 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a codger, but I've got a calling, and that's <laughs> to keep you and the rest of your family safe and healthy in times of trouble. That's quite honorable. And who are you? I am Amy Alton. Young lady. <laughs> I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Indeed you are. The hostess with the most as sweet as molasses is <laughs> just as bad for your teeth. Oh, yeah. Together we are the watchers on the wall. And we watch it all for you to help you keep it together even if everything else <clears throat> falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a pathological panther? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. Don't listen to a darn thing we say. That's what I Okay. Think. That's right. But you know what? There might just still be something there that you might be able to store in mm-hmm. that noggin of yours. What's the gist, survivalist? We learn as much from you as you do from us. So connect with us. It is so easy. Here's the lovely nurse Amy to tell you how. You can contact us by email. At drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. Our page is Doom and Bloom. And also Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. And you can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. And our video cast the first and third Wednesday of every month. At aroundthecabin.com. That's right. I think it's, uh, is it this? No, it's next Wednesday. No. That's uh, right. Yeah, next week. That's right. Now, hey, 
We are in the middle of National Preparedness Month, and it's going to be ending on September 30th with National Preparathon Day. I hope you've been reviewing your preps, making sure you have what you need mm -hmm. if the storm clouds appear on the horizon. Now, remember, the U.S. has a valuable website and ready.gov. There's a lot of good information in there that, guess what, you paid for with your taxes. <laughs> so you might so as well. True, that's right. So you might as well get some good use. Hopefully they didn't spend $500 million on the website, though. That's right. <laughs> Let's hope. They spent $500 million on just about everything else. Why I know, not right? this? Hey, bear with me for a minute to get a little housekeeping out of the way. And one of them, I just want to tell people that we have a book. It's called the Survival Medicine Handbook, a three-category number one Amazon bestseller. And it's going to give you a head start in any disaster or epidemic. It's all in plain English. Imagine that. So put old Dr. Bones and lovely Nurse Amy in your survival library. You can head over to Amazon.com or you can get a copy personally autographed to you by going to our website at doomandbloom.net. And by the way, for those of you who have kept our book on the most wished for list on Amazon, a little short on cash though, the shorter, less expensive, abridged version of our book published by Skyhorse Publishing and titled by them, The <clears throat> Ultimate Survival Medicine Guide is also available on Amazon. And don't forget, Nurse Amy has put together a pretty awesome line of medical Thank kits, you. haven't you? Thank you. For times of trouble, as well as individual items. Check them out at doomandbloom.net. Fill those holes in your medical supplies. Well, I just want to mention you had a recent article on quick clot and sea locks yes. and discuss the pros and cons of each of them. Uh, so if people are looking for Sealox products, I do have some Sealox in stock. Yep. Blood clotting agents. not always the case. <laughs> blood clotting agents might certainly be useful in times of trouble, so you want to have some of them available. Hey, you know, last week we talked about fractures in survival settings, and a broken bone is a major problem for the survival medic. Mm -hmm. Now, in rare circumstances, damage to a limb might be so extreme that it cannot be saved. Hmm. Saving a life might involve the removal of an extremity so damaged there's no hope of ever regaining function. If tissue dies, it rots. An infection enters the bloodstream and causes a condition called septicemia. That patient may not survive. Amputation, oh boy, uh -oh. here we go, is the surgical removal of all or part of an extremity. And this procedure is performed on arms, legs, hands, feet, fingers, toes, pretty much you Ouch. can cut it off, Ouch. <laughs> it's amputatable. Amputations of a part of a leg, by the way, is the most common surgery that is performed of that type. It's partly why I'm called Dr. Bones. During the Civil War, most doctors spent their time sawing off a lot of injured limbs, and they were nicknamed sawbones. This is the way they cured them. That's right. That's shortened to bones, as Doc, uh, Captain Kirk called Dr. Mm -hmm. McCoy in Star Trek, or the uh, similarly named current TV show. Uh, an amputation in a survival situation is, is a procedure of last resort. Last right. resort. I got to say that again. Life last saving. resort. That's it's right. It's life saving. You know this patient is about to die. If you don't get that limb off, they're going to end up with gangrene, a, system, a systemic infection, and wow, that's it. That's right. Doors closed. That's right. Remember, in many cases, your patient won't survive it if you attempt it. At least 25% of Civil War soldiers undergoing the procedure lost their lives due to complications from it. Mm -hmm. Now, the closer to the body that the amputation was performed, the higher the death rate was. Now, it's unlikely that there'll be an improvement in survival in future survival scenarios, no. disaster scenarios. So think twice, no, three times before you go ahead with it. 
Now, there are various reasons that an amputation might be necessary, and the most common is poor circulation due to damage to blood vessels. Without reasonable blood flow, tissue may not get enough oxygen to remain alive. And so, therefore, infection and gangrene, which you just talked about, right. uh, the loss of tissue as a result of the loss of circulation of course. might set in, and it does that with uh, severe frostbite and other things. We've talked about that on previous shows. Right, and you don't have to be in a war zone to actually get frostbite. So there are other reasons why amputation could be something that people should at least understand and and know about and understand the risk for especially right Uh, some reasons for amputation include extensive injury from trauma or burns cancerous tumors of course severe infection that doesn't get better Mm -hmm. over time and of course frostbite as i mentioned and i I think when you're mentioning severe infections and like decubitus wounds are probably more likely bed sores bed sores uh while i was thinking about diabetics Mm -hmm. The people with compromised immune systems and delayed healing are going to be more likely to have these kind of situations occur and therefore may more likely have amputations. Right. Now, before I go any further, I'm actually going to talk about the procedure. Remember that our focus is medical preparedness for when help is not, not on the way. Not on the way. There's right. no hospital. And I just want to mention one thing. After you're finished talking about amputations and maybe something else, I will be talking about insomnia. <laughs> so, yes. although this sounds very stressful to listen to, exciting. I will be speaking. I think I did a 30 minute clip here at the end on ins- insomnia. So, we promise you, you won't go it, fall asleep <laughs> during If it, you've right? got insomnia and you want to go ahead and listen to that, fast forward. If you're interested in this amputation, keep on listening. That's right. Well, you know, we, when you can get Martin Medicine involved and transport a patient to the hospital, do so. The likelihood of a good result would be 100 times what it will be if you try this yourself. But what if you have to proceed? Now, there are several methods that are used to identify where to cut and how much to remove. I think that is, I guess, one of the big questions, right, with amputation. Right. You, uh, how far up from the injury will you actually right do this and what you would do is you would check to see where the extremity loses its pulse that's one thing that's very important uh if there are areas when a limb loses its normal temperature or shows signs of lost circulation like mm-hmm. a change of color like it turns white it turns gray it turns blue obviously that's a sign of tissue that is in trouble i th- i think another sign of that might be um, a lack of sensitivity that they're not feeling as much in that area and also possibly a lack of warmth that you feel a difference in temperature from the the core body or just above that might feel a little warmer and then as you move down towards the injury you start getting a cooling off of the temperature and that could be a sign that there's decreased um, blood flow in that area also that's just right. another way to feel it because you may not always feel the pulse um, just above it that's right now so therefore we're talking about loss of circulation, loss of sensation or loss of nerves, right. nerve damage that that have been nerves that have been destroyed, and of course looking for areas of spreading infection. If a person is rapidly getting worse, the, the infection is spreading. You're not unable to stop it. Then and amputation might be an option in some circumstances. Right. And of course identifying area that the bone areas that the bone has mm-hmm. been crushed beyond repair that would be another possible reason that you might want to do it now basic basic measures 
to increase the chances of a successful amputation are sedate that patient as much as you possibly can oh my goodness absolutely Please. you have to do uh, if if you don't have uh, medications that'll sedate the patient then you have to use alcohol perhaps a lot of it uh, perhaps drinking alcohol that's, <laughs> yeah drinking out al drinking and not rubbing alcohol um, so the, I just want to mention real quickly that chloroform was one of the most commonly used that in yes ether. yes a mixture of bleach and acetone that's what chloroform is and you have a formula on the website how to make it right yes it's I have it article. I have it somewhere uh, yeah I have it somewhere on the website I believe how to make chloroform and the problem with chloroform is that it causes a lot of burns and so mm -hmm. you can't directly apply it to a person's face in during the Civil War they used chloroform and what they had was basically like a funnel gadgets right they had gadgets and a funnel a funnel that had the chloroform in a uh, in cloth mm-hmm basically and they would put that over the person's face still burned the face so don't think it doesn't burn the face even even that way but that is a way that they were able to perform anesthesia now the problem is they probably killed some people as a result Over of giving them the chloroform because there was no way to really dose it and in truth the same thing will happen in a true survival scenario and so you have to wonder if this is going to be an option for right. you. Right. I really feel they probably underestimated the statistics of how many people were overdosed with this because right. there was no way to monitor the patient. They didn't have them hooked up to EKG monitors and pulse oximeters and blood pressure me um, uh, monitoring systems. So, you know, you're eyeballing somebody and a terrible thing is happening to them. <clears throat> and it was a fine line between anesthesia and death. That's true. Honest to goodness. So That's... I'm sure there's a lot of deaths that were blamed on the injury that were actually caused by the anesthesia. That's right. Now you have to clean the damaged area with betadine or other antiseptics before the procedure. You have to go way above the air, even way above the area where you're going to be doing the procedure. You want to use sterile gloves. You want to have as sterile a field as possible. You want to, during the procedure, you want to remove debris, bits of shattered bone. Burned uh, tissue. Burned tissue, right. dead tissue. Right. You want to tie off bleeding blood vessels. Uh, you can clamp it with your curved uh, hemostat, uh, the, an instrument that you can clamp blood vessels with. Now, just and, remember, sometimes during the injuries, the blood vessels can retract a little bit. Yes. So if you're going to try to clamp those, you may have to actually look where the bleeding is coming from and sort of reach in there to clamp the blood vessel. Exactly. We've talked a lot about how to deal with a bleeding wound in the past, and uh, we'll be doing that, of course, in the future, since that's such a, a major issue in times of trouble. Uh, you want to preserve an adequate amount of living tissue that's going to serve as a flap to cover the exposed end of the bone. You can't just cut it straight straight down. What you have to do is you have to cut almost in a wedge with as much bone as possible removed in the center. And then you have to actually smooth file that bone. You have to smooth that bone out because what happens is it, it causes so a great horrible. deal. It, it, I'm a, I know I'm the only person that will talk about it. I so know, somebody's got to do it. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm imagining the people who are listening to this cringing yeah. right now. I know. I know. I, I'm not. I'm telling you this is an extreme procedure and very oh. few people will tell you how it's done. So I'm telling you how it's done. 
And so basically what they do, they, they don't want sharp ends of bone digging into the flap. Well, that makes sense. Flap. The flap that you're making, right. right, the cover. If anyone has seen someone who's had an amputation, you see soft tissue over where the bone would have been. Right. And so you're trying to prevent that pointy bone fragments that you just sawed off right. from pointing, sticking into or or poking through eventually that that flap of tissue. Exactly, exactly. That is a, of ex extraordinary, extraordinary importance. Absolutely. So we're doing that now. We're, we're making sure we have enough tissue. By the way, beforehand, you're most likely going to want to use a tourniquet well above the area of the or amputation. Two and I was about to say yes. many times you'll I'm sorry, need two. I'm a mind reader, many right? times you'll many times you'll need two tourniquets. I knew you were gonna you say know, that. And the tourniquet should be two or three inches apart at least by by the right. way. You don't want them right up next to each other. Now when you shorten the bone, you have to smooth it, as I said. And what you need to do is if there's muscle, there's gonna be muscle next to the bone, you're gonna to try to stitch that remaining muscle to the bone lining. Uh, which is called a periosteum. And you actually have a, a little film of tissue that's around the bone. It's called a periosteum. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, this is very difficult without special equipment, but you want, don't want the, the muscle to be hanging free. You want the muscle to still be able to move the bone. Right. And so you need to try to sew that in place well, so, that it, so that it'll heal attached to the bone. Right. Well, that makes perfect sense with anatomy and physiology because most... Uh, of all muscle tissue is attached with ligaments right and now you have no ligaments so there's no way for that muscle that may contract to actually move the bone without being attached to the right. bone you got to think about that right so before you close the wound before you close the flap mm -hmm. you need to put some kind of drain and we've talked about drains before uh, with a number of different surgical procedures uh, and when we talk about wound closure we talk about using drains something like a penrose drain p-e-n-r-o-s-e -E, which is a latex or nitrile tube that's uh, very very uh, flexible 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 and hollow flexible there and we hollow go. good See? for you well, well said that aren't you glad you have that will here? <laughs> allow inflammatory fluid blood to, to drain, drain and leave right. the surgical site you don't right. want that stuff to stay in there and then you want to close the wound with sutures or staples and you'll need to change the dressing regularly that will probably it'll probably be very wet and it'll probably drain a lot of blood oh, yeah. and inflammatory a lot fluid of oozing. as it's healing Absolutely. and of course you have to observe for infection as a matter of fact i would start a course of antibiotics 100 percent. we of the talked time. about antibiotics a million times yes and you really should start it right at the time of the surgery or even just before i think would be good now it's not going to be easy, but it was done in under austere conditions in the past, and you might just have to make a difficult choice. Amputations of procedure, I hope you never have to consider, never, honestly. Never, ever, ever have but to. But someone has to talk about it, and gosh darn it, well, I did. Well, you were brave. I'm brave. You're I'm very a brave, brave man. But if yeah. you think about these people, most survived, believe it or not, in the early 1860s, Right, uh, long extremity time ago. amputation. They they even had a majority so, of survival. That doesn't mean they had. They didn't have. Didn't have problems right. afterwards. They but. may have developed infections, and some infections are cured by our own immune system. Now it's just that in modern times, if we have antibiotics, you want to speed that up as much as possible. In severe injuries, it might save a life, and you can't rule out anything medic that might do that. Mm-hmm.
Okay, so let's see. We're going to be talking about insomnia in just a second, but I just want to mention uh, one thing that I didn't mention in our housekeeping earlier, and mm -hmm. that is our game, Doom and Bloom Survival. If you're a lone prepper, uh -huh. a lone prepper who can't get the rest of the family on board the survival bandwagon, well, you know what? Sit them down for a fun family game night with Doom and Bloom Survival, and they'll be making some survival decisions in the game that's fun and that are fun and challenging and it's an introduction right and you know what they might get interested in it without you cramming it down their throat <laughs> without you giving them lectures on this on the subject and i really think that it's an awesome game it received the teaching preparedness resource award of the week uh sometime in july if i remember from mm -hmm. the prepared family blog and we are very honored to have received that recognition and i think it's a really good game i think you'll enjoy it and i hope that you'll check it out at survivalboardgame.com and now here's nurse amy talking about insomnia a big issue hey so let's talk about insomnia Ugh. What a horrible thing to have. You have a night, you can't sleep. So you get out of bed and you're exhausted. So what does that do to the rest of your day? Well, you can't concentrate. It's hard to focus when you're driving. You make mistakes throughout the day and you just feel like crap. Sorry, but that's the truth. So what can we do about it? Um, you know, it's weird. Some people fall asleep like within seconds of laying down. I'm so jealous. <laughs> people are so lucky. If you have the ability to just lay your head on the pillow and go to sleep, you are incredibly lucky, honestly. So what about the rest of us who have issues with insomnia at times, not all the time, although some people do have chronic insomnia. And I'm so sorry because that's terrible. So let's talk about some changes you could make, some habits you could have that might increase your ability to go to sleep. Maybe you're listening to this at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're having insomnia right now. Maybe I'm boring. Maybe I will put you to sleep. But let's talk about some things um, that you can do. And, you know, it is normal to experience occasional occasional insomnia or just a, a bad night of sleep. Maybe you're waking up every hour, or every two hours, or maybe you woke up at two o'clock in the morning and just could not fall back to sleep. It happens. It happens all the time. Maybe you're stressed. Possibly you had too much caffeine during the day or, or too late in the evening. I find that if you cut back on caffeine around one o'clock in the afternoon, you might be able to fall asleep better. Other things that can keep you awake are, um, obviously we just talked about stress, but cigarette smoke, that smoking will actually uh, disrupt your sleep patterns because it's a stimulant. And anything that you do that is a stimulant will keep you awake. So if someone's on diet pills or maybe they're taking uh, medication for um, ADHD, you know, you attention deficit disorder, sorry, ADD, um, it, it could actually really cause a problem for 24 hours, even though someone might take the pill in the morning. It has lingering effects, and a lot of those pills are, are once a day, which means for 24 hours, 
you still have the effect. So there's a lot of things that could either wake you up or keep you awake. Oh, one more big thing. And most people don't think about this, but alcohol. If you drink at night, you say, oh, well, I fell asleep so well. And then four hours later, you pop up. And you may not be sober, depending on how much you drank, but you can't go back to sleep. And you think, that's the weirdest thing. I just drank, so I should be sleeping all night long. Alcohol actually disrupts your sleep patterns and your hormones and you will wake up a lot of times unless you've drank so much that you're just in the state of passing out, which I don't recommend for people with insomnia. Do not begin to start drinking until you pass out. Yeah, you'll stay asleep, but you're not going to feel rested and you're going to feel really awful in the morning. I promise you that's a college thing. It's a, a not something you should carry into adulthood. We all learn our lessons early and realize that that's just not a good thing because it's really not worth the price you pay for, you know, maybe the fun time you had that night. Although you might regret some of the things you do. <laughs> so keep that to early early college years. Learn the lesson and, and don't do it anymore, especially um, as an adult or if you have to go to work in the morning or you have children to take care of. So limit that to, to very early in life. Just as important as the ability to fall asleep and, and stay asleep is the ability to cycle through in an orderly fashion the five stages of sleep several times a night. If you're waking up, you're interrupting those cycles. And if you don't reach a deep sleep, you're going to have issues with cell growth and repair. In other words, if you've got something that is healing, you may have problems and it interferes with your immune system. So you don't want to have a lack of sleep because if you're repairing your body, you're going to interfere with that process. So again, if you're listening to this two o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, what can you do right now? Well, if it's possible and you're in a safe area, go for a brisk 20 minute walk. If it's the afternoon and you're anticipating not being able to sleep, get out and go for a walk. You may prevent insomnia. Exercise is amazing. It really does help. So about two hours before bed, again, if you're anticipating not being able to go to sleep, take a warm bath and put 15 drops of organic essential lavender oil. Yay. Smells wonderful. It's very relaxing. If it's hot in your bedroom, turn the thermostat down. Okay. When I say turn the air conditioning down, it's about the thermostat. A lot of people say turn it down. They think it's actually making it hot. But when you're talking about air conditioning, you're talking about a thermostat. So you're turning the number down, make it colder. Some people don't like it cold in a room, but if you're with a partner who's having issues with being hot or just is always hot, no matter how old they are, they like it cooler. Most people do sleep better with a cooler room. So don't heat your room up too much. And in the winter, don't make it too hot at night. I know you want to put the heat on, 
but that's not always the best thing. Don't turn it too high. Keep it cool in there. Keep a nice steady temperature. This may sound really cold for everyone else out there, but Dr. Bones and I actually sleep with our air conditioning at 65. Now, I live in South Florida, and it's about 93 degrees out pretty much every day of the year, except for maybe a month in January. So we're dealing with heat all day long. When we go to sleep, that temperature we have found, and if it's 67 degrees, we actually look at each other like, wow, it's really hot in here. So we've gotten used to it, and it makes us sleep so much better. You can snuggle up with the blankets. You can snuggle up with each other. If it's too hot in a room, guess what? You don't want to be near each other. You're like, you're too hot. You're too hot. And I know this goes for anybody who's married Bodies put off heat, and if it's too hot in the room, you don't want anything to do with the other person. So you, you might actually snuggle with each other if it's cool. So we can increase the love in this world. Um, another thing, valerian. Wow, I love valerian. It is amazing. I'm actually growing it. I have not harvested it yet because I want to make sure it gets nice and big and lots of roots. But you can take 600 to 900 milligrams a valerian extract, which is standardized, I will say this slowly, standardized to 0.4% of the acids. So you want to have a specific amount. You can find some uh, herbal companies that will give you this kind of information. Some of them don't, but look for the ones that do. It is absolutely amazing and we'll talk about valerian a little bit later and also before you climb into bed spend 20 minutes on some form of relaxation yoga deep breathing exercises something that just totally takes all the stress away it it sort of empties your mind is really what you want to do and that might be for you watching some funny movie we watch um, a lot of Big Bang Theory. We watch uh, World's Dumbest, which is so hilarious. And by the way, laughter is wonderful for your immune system. So laughing will keep you healthy, will keep you living longer. And if you have some issue that you need some healing from, laughter is the best medicine. So do something that just empties all that days of of weight and stress and all the things that happened and somebody cut you off in a car and your boss yelled at you or I mean there's so many things your kid got a bad grade in school things weigh on us we think about them especially when the lights go off and there's nothing else distracting us so try to get all of that out and and clear your mind and just relax now, if you don't fall asleep within 30 minutes, get out of bed. I'm I'm bad about this. I, you know, you think, well, if I just lay here a few more minutes, I'll go to sleep. But the best recommendation is to get out of bed and do something else. And don't get out and um, go jog. I know I said go for a walk, but that's just like a peaceful thing. Don't go jogging. Don't. Do something that uh, gets your mind all freaked out again. Like, don't go on the computer and start looking at all the bad news out there in the world. Don't go look at Facebook because some people were writing some terrible things and you want to see what they wrote. Or you put a new video up and you're 
thinking that everyone's going to have bad comments and you're worried about that, don't, don't do anything that might give you any kind of negative feedback. So you want to avoid all of that. Read a book. Books very rarely cause people stress. So read something, read a story, read an old book, read something that is, is educational, something that's going to interest you. And it really, the, the more you're interested in the book, the less you have time because you're processing the words and, and trying to comprehend what you're reading. You don't think of other things. And if you find yourself drifting off from that book, it's not interesting enough. When I pick up a book and I'm really interested in it, I will not stop reading. I guess that could be a problem with having trouble going to sleep because you don't want to put the book down. Do put the book down at a reasonable hour. Don't stay up till 3 o'clock reading because then you're really going to screw up your sleep pattern. So read a book to a reasonable hour. And again, if you're having trouble going to sleep, read it for 30 minutes or 20 minutes. You're probably going to get tired. Go back to bed. Try it again. If you still don't fall asleep, you can use some natural remedies. And you can also, if you have them, just take half of a sleeping pill if you have it. Uh, there is Benadryl, I do not recommend sleeping pills, by the way, because people can get addicted to them. You can say, well, I can never fall asleep, so I always have to take this. And there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of side effects of sleeping pills. So I'm not pushing pills here. I'm just saying if, if you ha have a serious problem and you have to get up in the morning and you have it, it might be an option for you. But we're going to give you some natural stuff to try first. Uh over-the-counter antihistamine Benadryl is in, you could either take it separately, you would have to take, uh, you could start with 25, 50 is the, I think, usual amount that's in these Tylenol PM pills. The problem with Benadryl is a lot of times you wake up, you can quote wake up in the morning, but you're not really awake. You're actually pretty darn tired and that's a problem if you have to go to work or you have to make breakfast and drive the kids to school and do a million other things. You have to go to a meeting and you have to do a presentation or you have to go to school and you have to take a test. There's a lot of reasons why we need to be perfectly alert at 9 a.m. If you take this Benadryl, I can pretty much guarantee, although everyone's a little bit different in their metabolism, that you're going to have some effects in the morning. So I'm warning you that the Tylenol PMs and all of the other uh, pain medicines that have over-the-counter pain medicines that have decided to add Benadryl to their formulation will cause you to feel drowsy still when you wake up, still drowsy in the morning. So <clears throat> it wouldn't be the first thing that I would go to, I would definitely try to, you know, get something natural. And by the way, folks, I just want to let you know, this information that you're hearing from me, I have tons and tons of herbal books. And I pull usually from like a lot of them and put together my information and do a lot of research. Um, but I found a fantastic chapter in a book that I have. And this is where your information here is coming from. But plus, I know a lot of this stuff already. It's called Reader's Digest Best Remedies. 
and it's breakthrough prescriptions that blend conventional and natural medicine. Ooh, doesn't that sound familiar? That's just like our book. But this is a pretty new book. Um, but I'm, I really dig it because it's simple. It's straightforward. And if you have a particular um, issue and you want to find out all of the natural remedies that are highly recommended for it, it's all in one pretty concise chapter. Um, a lot of the herbal books I have are so extensive. I can really get into minutiae with each and every natural remedy for different medical issues. Uh, I can read pages and pages on a particular herb, which is great. So, and by the way, if you have insomnia, you might want to take that time to actually learn something. Learn something new every day. You never know. It piles up and you may need to know that one day. So, consider the Benadryl, but don't don't make the sleeping pill and the Benadryl uh, your first or second choice. Okay? Now, let's talk a little bit about exercise. Um, there have been a few scientific studies that show that exercise has a lot of benefits for people with insomnia. But the thing is, their studies were in um, sleep studies. So they do think that regular exercise is critical for a good night's sleep, but they don't feel that it has to be an intense workout. And that's why I mentioned taking a walk in the afternoon. You don't have to go totally freaky workout sessions, which frankly may kill you. <laughs> I know there are 20-year-olds that can do that, but frankly, if you get a little older, it gets a little harder. And if you are working out that intensely for the first time especially, and then you try to go to sleep, your body is going to ache. So it's not going to help you. Just go for a walk. Keep it simple. That is a wonderful thing. Let's talk about some more habits for better sleep. And they call them sleep hygiene. And we've mentioned these before I did it in the introduction. Stop drinking caffeinated beverages. Try to have a routine. Go to sleep at the same time and try to wake up on the same time, even on the weekends. I know this is hard. Everyone's like, well, I have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and go to work. And on the weekends, I would like to sleep much later. It's going to disrupt your sleep because you're doing this two days on the weekend. And then you're five other days, you're waking up early. So you're screwing up your body. Your body doesn't know what to do. And sometimes it's like, well, forget it. I'm just going to stay awake. Hide the bedside clock. Don't look over at the clock every time you wake up and say, oh, it's one o'clock. Oh, I've been up for half an hour. Oh, I've been up for two hours. That, that puts stress on you to try and go to sleep. And what did we say helps inhibit sleep is stress. So you don't want to be staring at the clock. So hide the clock. Um, if you have a phone, make sure it's a little bit more difficult for you to get to it. You can't just pick it up and look at the clock, the time on the, the phone every five seconds. So keep it a little further away. So you would actually have to make effort. And mostly you're just trying to lay there and go to sleep. So you're not going to reach for it. Prepare your room for sleep. Again, we talked about 
keeping the room cool very important if there's a lot of light or say there's a street light or somebody's back porch light or something that comes into your house that can disrupt sleep so block the light put room darkening shades buy some uh, good curtains that might have the um, thick padding behind or the thick coating behind them so that the light doesn't come in you'll find those in the hotels they have good light darkening shades so think about that noise if you hear a lot of noise either through the night or very early in the morning you need to think about that and what we do I'm giving you some of the things that we do is I have an air purifier in the room you can get a big one you can get small ones if it's just a little bit of noise through with a fan the fan moving the air and purifying it which is good for people with allergies because allergies can inhibit sleep because you're sneezing or your nose is stuffy or you just don't feel well it's sort of a twofold you help get rid of dust you help keep the room cleaner you help prevent allergies and the sound is called white noise and that helps to drown out any of those noises that either wake you up or keep you awake now this is another tough one for most people use the bedroom for sleep only ha we have televisions in there we have smartphones and iPads and some people even have computers that they bring to bed not a good idea your body needs to understand you need to have a routine a regulation that when you go into this bedroom that you're going to to sleep don't make it a living room don't make it a family room keep your bedroom for sleep and I'm I'm saying this as I have a television in there and I actually do a lot of work in our room so I am at fault just as much as anyone else and maybe that's why I have issues with sleep sometimes so we talked about taking a bath, putting the uh, lavender in it. If you do this on a routine, if you take a bath every night, you relax your body, you know you get out of bath, and a lot of people don't take baths very often, your body just feels oh, so relaxed, and the warm water just relaxes your muscles, and you feel better, you'll actually go to sleep so so much better and then don't forget let's talk about herbal so we talked about valerian but other relaxing herbs that are ex excellent for sleep problems include chamomile hops passion flower lemon balm and skull cap skull cap uh, all of those work really well and some of the best way is to just get them in a tea so you can drink a cup of tea for these before you go to bed uh, sip a warm drink put some honey in it of course because we know honey is healing and it makes you feel good it smells good and it tastes good <laughs> so you can mix a half a teaspoon um, this is a nice little formula if you really want to make your own little herbal tea of a mixture mix a half a teaspoon each of passion flower lemon balm skull cap and chamomile tea leaves now steep that in six ounces of boiling water for eight to ten minutes strain it again sweeten it with honey and sip 
about an hour or so before going to bed because you want to give that herb a chance to move through your body and to start reacting. Something my daughter had to try because she was having issues with sleep in her early teens and it was preventing her from growing. She was in a, a very low growth pattern. She had got normal until then and she was having issues with sleep. Of course, the problem She's had issues with sleep her whole life, but it's really critical in your teen years for growth. If you're going to get taller, you have to sleep. It's super important. Look that one up. So you can try some melatonin and it's over the counter and it is very helpful insomnia for insomnia. Start with a very low dose. Don't go with the higher dose and never go above three milligrams Try to start with um, whatever lowest dose you can find over the counter. And then if you have to increase it, increase it by 0.5 milligrams per night until you reach the effective dose. And you'll know, gee, that dose worked for me. I slept pretty well last night. The effects, side effects, because I don't see this mentioned anywhere. Melatonin. Um, I personally had very vivid, vivid, crazy nightmares. Don't usually have those, but I do with melatonin. So you kind of have to weigh, well, if that happens to me, do I want to get a good night's sleep? Because you, you feel like all of these weird things are happening while you're sleeping. You wake up, you go, oh my gosh, what was I dreaming about? But I slept. I slept fine. It doesn't happen to everyone. It did not happen to my daughter. The pediatrician is actually the one who recommended that she take the melatonin. And it worked. She grew. It, it was amazing so I was very very happy to hear that there's an amino acid called uh, 5-HTP and it is actually a building block for serotonin and I'm sure you've heard about serotonin it helps to relax you it's a neurotransmitter that actually plays a really major role in sleep and you can take a hundred milligrams of this before bed with a piece of fruit or a glass of juice or a cracker because it works better when taken with a carbohydrate but not a protein so don't take it with a piece of cheese take 50 milligrams a half an hour before dinner and 50 milligrams with your bedtime snack the supplement should not be used for more than three to four weeks so don't make this a constant routine for yourself um, again we talked about over-the-counter meds that have antihistamines uh, then the side effects of being drowsy and other side effects is also it dries you out. So uh, you may find that your nasal passages and your throat are a little dry because of it. And, and that's pretty common. Um, the prescription drugs, um, again, they're okay for uh, once in a while, but they do interfere with the um, phase of sleep called REM sleep. And then you're not really getting all of the cycles of sleep. And they can be habit-forming. So really, if you can possibly stay away from them, that would be great. I'm not crazy about these new ones like Ambien and Sonata and Lanesta. Um, They're supposed to have less side effects. And this is because they don't stay in your system for as long as the um, other things like uh, Valium and Ativan. Still not crazy about them, but it happens that some people just have to have them. 
Uh, antidepressants can help people get sleep. If you actually have the diagnosis of uh, depression and you are taking these pills, they may help you go to sleep. Okay, and you want to take those before you go to sleep. We're talking about things like um, Elevil. So some people have depression, they have issues with sleep, and and when they start taking these medications, they can fall asleep. So that works really, really well. Uh, it, it cures, hopefully, hopefully, two different problems. So what are some other things we can do? Warm milk. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> what a cliche. Drink a glass of warm milk. Well, guess what? It works. It's a good source of tryptophan, which is the same amino acid found in Turkey. You hear the story. Thanksgiving dinner, everyone eats a lot of turkey and they all fall asleep. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing for sleep. Don't dismiss it. There are lots of other food sources that have tryptophan in them. So look those up. There's acupuncture. Several studies have found acupuncture can relieve various types of insomnia in all types of people, including pregnant women and anxious people. One study found five weeks of acupuncture increased partic participants' own melatonin secretion. Remember, melatonin helps with sleep, as well as significantly improved their ability to fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep well. Lavender aromatherapy. Wow, lavender is amazing for helping calm and get people to sleep. So spritz lavender spray on your pillow and sheets. Put a few drops of lavender essential oil on a tissue and sniff it as you're trying to go to sleep and fall asleep. Dab some on your pulse points, which would be your wrists and your temples. And use maybe if you have a plug-in diffuser. They have um, these diffusers that you can put the oil in and it sort of makes like a little spray and it diffuses it through the air and it makes your whole room smell good. So it's not just you who's getting good sleep, but your partner is going to get good sleep too. And one small preliminary study found that lavender improved mild insomnia in participants and other studies find it calms people with dementia, which attests to its relaxing effects. So other prevention uh, that we can talk about other than avoiding stress and avoiding caffeine is to maintain a normal weight. Studies find that obesity can make sleep problems like sleep apnea worse. It can also affect important sleep-related hormone levels in the body, increasing levels of the stress hormone cortisol. I'm sure most of you have heard how bad cortisol is for our bodies, let alone for sleep. And being overweight decreases your levels of sleep-inducing melatonin. Aha! You need melatonin to help you go to sleep. So we talked about avoiding alcohol, avoiding smoking, decreasing stress. All of these things will help. If you can't go to sleep, again, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, get some lavender you put it on your pulse point, smell it, lavender essential oil, drink a glass of warm milk, 
and try to fall back asleep. Well, I hope these have been some good hints and advice for those of you who are suffering from insomnia, or maybe you have a partner or a child with insomnia. I'm wishing you a good night's sleep tonight, everyone. Thanks. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.